Hi, Nikolai. Uh, welcome back. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. The last time you mentioned that what you are doing, uh, you are listening the entire day, uh, the or you are scraping the entire day the uh, mailing lists from uh, from the Java news. And uh, the point is, you would like to get you know the news as as soon as possible. So um, for me, it sounds more like you know the uh, how do, how is called you know the 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 broker systems where you are very interested you know in the current stock prices. So you are very close to the source, right? Yeah, kind of. Although I have to admit, I, I would like to spend all day on the mailing list, but actually <laughs> I can. So I occasionally also um, get like good tips elsewhere where people read something interesting on the mailing list. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think there's so much good information on there. Um, but like following all of them is basically impossible. It would be a full day job, I think. I, I thought this is exactly your job that you are like you know the cut, uh, how is this catalyst between you know the mailing list and community. Yeah, I mean, like, well, kind of, but also recording videos and giving talks and you know editing and writing and all of that it takes time too. So uh, there's actually not that much time to uh, to be on the mailing list. Um, so what I do is a lot is um, actually so the mailing list is okay, let me start elsewhere. I like the question is what kind of information do you want to pick up and who do you want to present it to, right? So there's all kinds of Java users out there, right? So we could basically start with somebody who's like uh, coded Java for a couple of years and has really no interest in whatever new happens because, it's, it, you know, for them, it's just a job, which is a fair, fair way to see it as well. They just use whatever Java version they have in front of them. If they see a new feature, they maybe go read up on it. But then there's also Java developers who are always interested in what comes out in the current version, right? So whenever a new version drops, they realize, okay, 18 is around the corner. Let me get, let me read up on what's in 18. And then there are people who are interested, and that's even further on, on the edge, right, on the cutting edge, is what jabs are there currently, right? Mm -hmm. What jabs and jab drafts, which are already a little bit more experimental, um, what are those? And, like, of course, like, the further we get, the fewer people are actually interested in that. And then at the end point of that, like, at the pinnacle is what happens on the mailing list, right? So the mailing list is probably the most, it's, it's the earliest way uh, to see new information, but it's also at a point where a lot can still change, where things are still being discussed and where there's a lot of more time investment required to really make sense of it all, right? So I think for most Java developers interested in the newest stuff, I think the JEPs are the sweet spot. While JEPs can change, and even a feature that was, you know, as a preview feature can still evolve in the future, I mean, it, and it does happen, they're still somewhat stable, right? It's not like you're not going to read a JEP, or let's say you're not going to read 10 JEPs, and then by the end of it, only two of them make it, right? So usually there's like a good chance that a lot of the time you invest into reading a JEP and understanding it and maybe experimenting with like an early access build, most of that time is well invested because most of that would be stable. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's why it's a sweet spot. And that's why it's, it's actually where I spent most of the time or also look at, you know, what to present, what to discuss on Twitter or maybe what makes it into the newscast um, because that's the stuff that's around the corner but we already have a pretty good idea of what it will actually look like. Mm -hmm. And then the mailing list goes beyond that, it requires much more time investment. Um, and then also like the payoff is lower in the sense that, you know, that um, you cannot rely on like somebody, you know, throws out an idea on the mailing list and you can't rely on, okay, that's, that's probably going to make it. That might just, you know, get kicked out of uh, uh, the idea room or of the idea list a mm -hmm. couple of weeks later, maybe because it's always a balancing act, right? With any software development project, there are tons of good ideas what to do, but you always have to pick the ones that you feel make the most sense and have the best characteristics of investment versus the benefit to the users in the end. So um, lots of ideas um, that get thrown around are not not pursued because they're bad. A lot of them are just not pursued because they seem to have a worse um, payoff, basically, right, from investment, from investment of resources to benefit to the user uh, than some other ideas might have. 
Mm-hmm. It's happened, it actually happens frequently. That people are like, why don't you do this? This is a good idea. And the reply is, yeah, it is. But, you know, what else should we then not do? And that, that because that's always the question, right? So why developers should be interested in, you know, jobs or the new stuff? Or why they are interested, you think? What's your observation? Yeah, because I was going to say, like, I don't think, like, they should in the sense there is no moral obligation, right? So I really understand people perfectly well who say, look, like, I do this for a living. Uh, this is my job and I enjoy my job, but I don't enjoy it to the level of investing all my free time. I think that's a perfectly good and reasonable uh, point of view to have. So I don't think people sh- should be spending eight hours at work and then two hours at home, uh, you know, reading up on all kinds of stuff. But they can. Uh, and I like to do it. And I think a lot of developers like to do it. And if they do want to do that, right, if they do want to um, learn more about Java beyond what they technically have to know for their job, oh, you Well, there's no video, but I just had air quotes here. (laughs) So beyond what you have to know for your job, if you're interested in that, um, then yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because, uh, like when, when there's a new feature in Java, um, it's there, there are different things to learn. There are things to learn, like just how to use it, right? That's the most basic thing you want to learn first, but there's more. There's how am I supposed to use it, right? It's not only how it works, but you know, what are good applications? What might be bad applications? Uh, where's the sweet spot? And that's, of course, something that, you know, we only, we also just tend to figure out why we go. So that's always interesting then to read what other people's opinion, uh, what other people, uh, have opinions on these uh, features and how to use them. Um, like, I don't like the term best practices, but I like the, like, I like the idea behind them. So let's say I call, I like to call them good defaults. So what are good default use cases for this feature or what's a good way to use it? Uh, and then beyond that, and that's something that interests me personally a whole lot is, is the why question. So, why is it there now? Why wasn't it there before? What changed? And uh, there's often a lot to learn about Java's history. So, for example, just like a really small detail, in Java 9, since Java 9, when you use a try with resources block, right? You say try and then in, in, in... Wait a second. We'll come to back to, to back later. Uh, I, oh, I, yeah. I, give you, I give you an idea because uh, I ask you now the, the question on purpose because uh, I'm really interested in the newer stuff maybe not cutting edge but if there is no 50 50 chance that it will make it i'm interested in it and i was uh, always interested in it also as one of the reasons why i also attended java one back then because i was interested what's coming you know in java e uh, micro profile space in java why this because um for me java is something like a standard right because whatever ships with java it is already there I don't have to justify it. I don't have to patch it. I don't have to care about the dependencies. I don't have to check, you know, the licenses model or whatever. So for me, it is the simplest possible and most productive thing if it already comes with Java. So it is actually uh, really important to know what's on the horizon. Because um, I spend, you know, my time as a consultant in projects or sometimes about architecture, kickoff or whatever. And the question is now, should we use this external dependency now? But if you already know that Java comes with something similar, you can say, wait a second, maybe, you know, uh, we should, uh, you know, uh, stuck with Java now. And if it makes it, we can save a lot of trouble later. So for me, it is very important to know in which direction Java is going so that um, we don't, you know, rely too much on external frameworks, which are Mm -hmm. too similar to future Java. And uh, what I remember is uh, before Java 8 came out, so there were no streams, obviously. And I was in a meeting and a company tried to sell us a a framework, which was very similar to Java streams, like high performance stream computing or whatever. And I said, okay, wait a minute. 
when Java 8 will came out, and it was already on the horizon. I remember I was back from Java 1. And you could already try that, but there was no GA. And I said, okay, this will completely kill whatever we did. So if we would use you know, this proprietary feature back then, then the entire project wouldn't be successful. So after two years, it would completely die. We would get you know, an overcomplicated solution, uh, which would be unpatched because there would be no, no, no survival chances for, uh, for Java, uh, for this framework, for the external framework. And uh, we knew that. So, the, so what we did, we presented to management and said, look, um, Java 8 is preview. The project will run for several years. Maybe we could use Java 8 preview right now. It is risky, but it's less risky than using, you know, the external proprietary framework. And um, so for me, knowing about the future is about risk management. So you know what's coming, you know, and very similar. And I mean, it happens Java records, the next thing, you know, Java 11 HTTP client. If you know about Java 11 HTTP client, the question is, do you really need, you know, an external HTTP library? So the discussion we had uh, briefly on, on Twitter, the um, internal syslog in Java. So I used that already um, because for me, um, uh, uh, this was also funny on Twitter. I missed the entire log4j problem. It, uh, it was like, you know, eight, uh, eight hours uh, later. And for uh, accidentally, we had a conversation about external dependencies and log4j was one of them. And, and for me, I never used log4j because for me, Java util logging was good enough. And uh, sometimes these, uh, you know, what's called the internal syslog Java? I forgot the name. The new one, system logger. Uh, the, the, yeah, the old one, uh, JDK9, I think it was, right? The, uh, the, the system logger, right? Yeah, the, well, you're right, right, right. The, yeah, the, 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 the newer one, the Java system logger. Exactly. So, um, uh, and I uh, use the system logger and I use uh, the Java util logging. And uh, what I also use uh, for, for uh, serverless, I. I use system out print line works perfectly fine, you know, uh, uh, wrapped in uh, with a uh, interface and there is no concurrency. So no one cares whether, you know, there is synchronized or not. And, um, and, um, and um, yeah, uh, it was unfortunate because uh, people suspected I'm, I'm bashing on, you know, log4j because of the ba bug, which I uh, just didn't, didn't, didn't recognize back then. So for me, it's about, you know, knowing about the future is knowing about what standards may, may come. And uh, then we don't have to care about external dependencies. So this is one of my motivations. Yeah. yeah so I think. Uh, so I think what I just uh, I fell into the idea of like replying to a question basically like what like the the like average regular developer does, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and there I think it's it's as I said I think it's optional. But you're right. Like if you're a team lead or not, maybe it's not even the team lead's personal responsibility, but someone in a team should know, right? So specifically when you start using a new Java version. Somebody on a team or in a company, you know, there should be a way that someone is, uh, you know, reads, goes, goes through all of that. And when you start using a new version, for example, can, can teach you how to use these different, uh, like internally within the team, within the company, how to use these features. Mm -hmm. And as you said, if you're involved into making decisions about where, where software, where your software, where your project is going strategically, then yes, like you or somebody in that decision process needs to know. So I think, um, you're right. So. Basically, my, my, what I just said was basically from the like, you know, from just like everyday coding developer. Uh, not everybody has to know. Uh, once again, I think like many of us are also in this industry because they came here like driven by curiosity, right? I think probably the older we are, the more we're in here because of curiosity, right? Because it was not like a, just a, like when I started going to university, it was really just like already an, a normal trajectory to just go to university, study computer science and then become a developer. But I think like older, like if you're older than me, so I'm like in the end of the 30s, it's most likely that you hear 
because you were just so interested, so curious about this, mm -hmm. uh, that you got in this industry out of that drive more than just, you know, just picking it as, as any kind of, uh, just like a regular job. And of course, but I still think many people are here because they're very curious. Um, uh, because they were interested in, let's see, you know, tinkering with maybe HTML or with, you know, like basic or whatever when they were younger. And uh, if that drive still persists, then of course, now that you're a Java developer, you're probably also curious about, you know, the new stuff that's, that's happening here. And so in, in for all of those people, um, and for all of those who, you know, are involved in strategic decisions, um, there's a bunch of, um, a bunch of information out there to learn about what's upcoming in Java. But what I also try to do is... But uh, you, you say we are older. The Java developers never get older. This is, you know, the first observation. We just, you know, uh, stay young forever. And uh, <laughs> what, what's, what's, yeah, sure. what's uh, also about future is, uh, um, I think the last time we found out that you are actually a 100% Oracle uh, the, uh, guy, but I you know uh, the older Java developers come from what? the Sun Times. And let's just say I work there. There's some, some, there's still some Nikolai in me. But let's say I work there 100. percent Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the the, the, the you know some uh, uh, the 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 fraction of a percent of Nikolai doesn't matter if you work for or Oracle. You know, this is uh, <laughs> you you only have to 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 wait for for the Elon Musk you know a Neuralink uh, technology and then you are 101 percent Oracle. Yeah. I, uh, I would like to disagree, but I can contractually I cannot disagree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> no, about Sun, the uh, Sun community back then, um, it was like you know Sun was the driving open source force, and everyone like Sun and whatever Sun did was we just accepted that and used that. And uh, so the older of us are actually lazy. And um, if uh, what I work a lot still is with Java, e, Jakarta, e, and MicroProfile developers. And what they really like, the idea is uh, we just you know, focus on the on the foundation and we really don't like, you know, to, to look uh, uh, around, you know, to replace some already existing Java or Jakarta e technology with something external because it doesn't matter. So um, I would say uh, we are curious, but um, we have to be more, or we are more efficient uh, about the curiosity. You know, what I remember at the beginning of Java, everyone wanted to evaluate uh, logging frameworks, configuration frameworks, and caching. So this was like the three frameworks. In every project, you started to implement your own framework, right? Then a little bit later, dependency injection. So even in, uh, there was a workshop in Frankfurt. During the workshop, uh, developers implemented an open source and dependency injection framework. But right now, I would say I don't care at all about dependency injection or logging or, or, or caching or whatever because everything is there. So the curiosities about uh, what we can actually, uh, can we develop faster and, uh, and implement more stuff? And this is the interesting stuff what happens, right? So I would say what, what happens, it shifts for more boring technologies to more exciting technology. And my observation is that Java covers more and more of the boring stuff, which is really good. And we can focus on more of the exciting stuff. I mean, yeah, but I think that's, that's to a degree, that's also what Java tries to do, right? Like it yeah. tries to pick up stuff that's proven to work. Um, and, uh, so it makes sense that some of the stuff that's get, gets explored out there and some, some, if, if the community like settles on like a common approach, then that approach maybe end up in, in Java as a, like a language feature or as, um, as a, you know, as an API, you know, depending on what it is. So for example, um, the way we used anonymous classes to pass around actions, mm -hmm. you know, specifically mm -hmm. observers in the mm -hmm. past, um, I think it was a, a really great decision um, to implement lambdas in a way yep. that would be basically compatible with that approach. Yeah. So there, there was like 
like with all the, these these big projects, Project Lambda also explored various different approaches, and in the end, it settled on one that is really very close, like almost indistinguishable from what we used to do in the past already. We would create like, oh, I need an observer, so I'll just create an interface and have this one method. Also, way in the past, they had these observer interfaces. I think in AWT, which is like a dozen methods, so that didn't work quite as well. Yeah. But if you look at JavaFX, which was developed like when Lambda was already around the corner. Uh, you can see like every observer has just a single method. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, it was already planning basically ahead for, you know, what this is what we're already doing. And then Lambda will probably pick this up and it did. Mm-hmm. And now Lambda's just map with this, uh, single method function interfaces, which is somewhat uncommon for, un- uncommon for Lambda's work, uh, in, in many other languages, but it made sense in Java because that was the approach that we already established as being the one that works well in Java. Um, and instead of like inventing a whole different, uh, solution, that would then basically split all the solutions in two. Like this is the old way to do it, and this is the new way to do it. If possible, it's it's nice if the old and the new way are the same way, or actually at least uh, very similar. You know, if possible, right? Sometimes that doesn't work, but if it does, it's cool. Like like with uh, with that approach, and I think so in general, pulling solutions into the JDK is good, but there's of course a limit to that, right? I yeah. mean, we talked about system logger, logger earlier, uh, and while I thought it was not intended to be used externally. I think I'm technically right, meaning there is no intention to tell people to use this. Yeah. It's, it's still okay to use it, which was a bit surprising to me because I really felt like you probably shouldn't. And the reason why you shouldn't system.logger is, um, it is written for the requirements within the JDK mm-hmm. and it fulfills those mm-hmm. and it won't move from there. Yeah. So if, if you think like, well, but you know, there are these great 10 great things that other logging frameworks have. Uh, the system logger probably won't get those because it's really just meant as an API to be used within the JDK um, so that you can plug your external logging library into it. So for those people who don't know what system logger is, maybe we should start there. Uh, so system is this, the class system, and it has now another class, dot .logger. Uh, and the idea behind yeah, it... Yeah, you say now JDK it, it, it came with Java 1.9, right? Yeah, it came with Java 9, right? Yeah, yeah. Still, like, to me, it's always no, no, the No, the, uh, no, the audience is thinking that the, now we added, uh, we added in Java 18, you know, system logger. No, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So in JDK 9, that was added. Yeah. And the idea is that um, all the JDK classes use it, and then there's indirection there. It will default to Java util logging. So by default, nothing will change. But you can use your logging framework of choice assuming it, it has that feature um, to plug that in and then it will pick up those messages. Mm-hmm. So the JDK log messages will not be a different stream. So it will not be like your log messages and then the, the JDK's log messages uh, ending up in different places. You can all funnel them into the same place and then have them all in the same file, for example. Notice important, these are not the JVM's log messages. So stuff like garbage collection, mm-hmm. class loading, locking, all of that stuff. That's, that's, that's something else. That's not, but this is about, for example, you can tell AWT to track mouse movements and then you get an event like every time you move the, move the mouse, that kind of stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's stuff that's, um, that are logging messages from within the JDK classes and they would all go through this, uh, mechanism so that you can put them into your logging backend. But what that also means is if you have a library or like even as a, de- as a developer of, of an application, you could also just use that. You plug in log4j or, um, I don't know, like logback or whatever as a backend to, uh, to, to deal with, you know, writing this to disk or whatever, but you would only use system.logger. And I think that's okay, but be aware that then you have to be happy with the feature set that that class has. Like, yeah, which is, is which is perfectly fine. But because, you know, Java UT logging is also limited. 
And um, yeah. but what changed? Why I think it is now more interesting than you know back then to JDK one nine times is because most of the uh, server side Java stuff is running in containerized you know environments anyway. So and what happens is usually you are, you are not changing the log levels you know on the fly. What you are doing is you are logging everything and everything becomes an event, not even sometimes not even in a file. So just an event which is you now sent over the network, and the filtering aggregations happens somewhere else. So uh, in most cases, in uh, you know in in, in newer cloud projects, I could actually happily just use system out println and lock everything out because you know the aggregation, whatever the frameworks did, you know the filtering and formatting happens later. So I need actually what I only need is JSON formatting and you know log events. So this is the only thing, and for that. Java UT logging or your the console, how oh, it's called system logger is the is the proper name. Yeah. Uh, you know the JEP um, for that. So the number of the JEP. Yeah, we have to look it up. Uh, no, so but for I the can audience. look it up on the fly. Yeah, uh, um, and the console uh, logger uh, would be just perfectly fine for that. And you know, the limitations is always the case. But uh, from my perspective, I would like to start with um, Java built-in functionality, and then extend from that if it doesn't work then I can still use external library. So the thing is, I wouldn't start with external library and hope then one day I will use the functionality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So first of all, it's, it's JEP 264. Yeah. Um, that's the one. And I actually uh, com- uh, contributed the integration with SLF4J. So uh, Ooh, you? But I think it's only in SLF4J too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really easy. Like, I didn't do a lot. It was uh, basically no, like still. a weekend project. Um, and it made it into, like, I think, but it, SLF4J version 2 has been in alpha for quite a while, so I'm not sure what's going on there exactly. Um, but yeah, it's in the, it's in one of the recent versions. So if you have SLF4J on the class path, yeah, or module path, it will automatically integrate with that service and it will automatically pick up the log messages that go through system logger and then it will put it into whatever backend you configured there. Yeah. Um, but what you said about only picking up a dependency once you know that you're, uh, that you need this feature set. I mean, in, in general, you're definitely right, but there's also like, you probably have a good idea because logging is so ubiquitous. You do it in so many uh, different apps. If you do something that you've done in the past, like I'm going to implement a new service for, you know, for, for my, you know, for my microservice application or add a new feature to my, you know, plugin driven desktop application, whatever. I mean, with logging, you probably have a pretty good idea what the requirements are going to be, right? I mean, like if you have new business logic, it often takes some time to explore and what do we actually want to do? But I think many cross cutting uh, concerns like logging or maybe like yeah, unit testing or, or mocking or whatever. Like for those, you probably know pretty well what you're getting into. Uh, and so I don't think, so I wouldn't chide somebody for saying like, I'm starting with a logging library um, because I know I'm going to use, I don't know, whatever feature log for J2 has that, that, mm-hmm. uh, that people could be interested in um, that doesn't system logger doesn't. Uh, because I think that's usually a, a part of your software that you probably understand pretty well in advance. And somehow some things are like, well, not hard to change, but troublesome to change, right? So uh, that, uh, that's the problem. Lo- you are assuming uh, that uh, you are, you know, the uh, uh, a developer, uh, which working in a team, in a, in a company, which might be true. My observation is different. So what I, uh, or I mean, um, you are right for specific projects, go for it. But uh, what happens sometimes is larger projects um, is like the company just picks and you know, three different companies which contribute the software. And now we have the problem because, you know, uh, 
one company uses log log for j the other one uses logback and the other one would like to use something different and 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 for me, sometimes i'm in such a project and i say okay then, then go to a room and fight and this is like you know you can spend hours or days in meetings just discussing this or my trick is to say we don't use anything we start with java first if there is nothing there we extend from that right and the cool story is you will always find something in java you know base 64 encoding java this logging so everything is already there and if it's not there then we expand to the server so if we have you know payara or quercus or helidon whatever if, with that you can omit all the dependencies and, and and this is now become twice as important as before First, you don't have to care about the dependencies. Now, company became more sensitive about the licensing. So, you know, you cannot just pick, you know, whatever license you like. And, of course, security and deprecation. So, I mean, security is one part, but deprecation is a bigger problem. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was asking, you know, the entire time, what's my opinion about Hystrix from Netflix? I said, okay, we, you can use it, but I don't see the point. And it was deprecated. So if you would be dependent on Hystrix, it, it is actually, it was hugely invasive for, uh, framework. I don't know whether you saw the source code, you had to build command patterns, so very similar to your observers, so uh, back then to uh, Java AWT observers, and configure the thing with a factory, which was painful. I, I say, okay, why I would like to, you know, this is like you know, horrible co code. And now uh, Netflix deprecated the entire Hystrix. Recently, I performed another code review, uh, and Dozer, you know what they know Dozer, like you know uh, object copying a hierarchy, of, uh, hugely popular back then. Now it's deprecated. So if you uh, let's say uh, uh, we have Java records which work fine, and the framework is deprecated, and uh, in the project there are several hundred dependencies on this on this Dozer. Now the question is, no, what we are doing then? So I would say yeah. you you can start with a dependency, but then you have to take the ownership of the dependency maintain it, you know, be responsible for patching. And this is where what doesn't happen. You know, the developers just download everything they, they, they can and they put it to this to, 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 to POM and, and they have fun and then they go away and you are stuck, you know, with with outdated stuff. So I would say use it, focusing on Java and, you know, your extended ecosystem. My extended ecosystem is Jakarta and MicroProfile. This is what, you know, 100% of backends are in other projects will be something different but even then you know if I'm I can if I use Helidon I don't care Quarkus they are very similar I can just focus okay on this what the framework brings but I don't have to discuss why I use you know dependency injection Y and not uh, Z and th this is actually my trick yeah, so like so you're definitely right. So this getting being stuck in committee discussing which logging framework is the best or which mocking framework is the best. Yeah, like so that's actually one place where I feel that um, I mean competition is usually good, right? It gives you options to pick what what you what you like best. But I think it also specifically in Java, where like IDEs, for example, right? Like we have like three really great IDEs, and there's like like 99% of what you want to do day in day out, they all do, and they all do it pretty well. So like which IDE are you using? Best IDE. I use IntelliJ. Mm -hmm. um, so, which IDE you're using? I mean, it's 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 not it's not essential. I mean, if you feel well, like, or which logging framework. So, in most cases, since we are in an ecosystem uh, which is so mature, which has different options, which usually do all a great job on the basics and just distinguish in the details, it's often like these discussions feel so pointless because you can probably use any of the three and will do a good job. Yeah, sure. Like of the, of the IDEs, except of the logging framework. IDE, except. Uh, back then, Eclipse was uh, still used a, a lot, 
And uh, I forgot when. In order Eclipse, uh, Eclipse to function properly with Maven, a project started to add Eclipse-specific Maven plugins to POM. Yeah. So I say, okay, so okay, this, that's over. I would say, okay, if you like to use Eclipse, use Eclipse, but the no-build system should be ID independent. Then I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So I don't so care had, about... We, yeah. had, we had this as well, actually. Uh, a company here in Karlsruhe, Dizzy, where I used to work, uh, when I started there, everybody was using Eclipse. And, you know, we used Eclipse internationalization mechanism, and mm -hmm. we also used the Eclipse Maven plugin. And the problem is that the project was rather large, and Eclipse struggled to yep. deal with like a project like 400 Maven projects mm -hmm. as as as, an, as a Maven as Maven projects that mm -hmm. did just not work. It just would freeze for like hours at a time mm -hmm. trying to recalculate something. Uh, and so what we would we had to use the Eclipse uh, Eclipse Maven plugin to create these Eclipse config files. Yeah. And so there were discrepancies because the problem then is then then what was that some kind. Exactly what you what do you expressing I think it was right test now? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I would be completely against that if I would see this in code review. Yeah, right. right. So that that's that's the point, right? So uh, at some point we realized that that's actually not a good idea, and it started because one guy was like, you know what? He, he started together with me actually at the company. Oh no, actually a couple of months later, Robert Ledermüller was his name. Okay. Uh, it probably still is his name actually. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a, he, he's a great guy, and uh, so he said like, why don't we use IntelliJ? I was like, I don't know, but why don't we? Okay, I always happy to find new stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, it has better Maven integration. This should actually work like as proper Maven modules in IntelliJ. I was like, okay, sure, let's try. But he's like, he realized then that actually just that it doesn't just work because the project was married to Eclipse and that was never, that was never a decision that was explicitly made. Mm -hmm. It just happened more or less accidentally. And that was something that was then discovered. That's actually not a good idea to have this kind of dependency established with, at least without making a proper decision, but Probably if we could, because if somebody would have discussed that, if there was a team discussion about should we marry our project to Eclipse, probably the answer would have been no. It just kind of happened. Yep. And uh, so then you spend some time to, you know, to undoing that. Yep. Um, spend some time to make sure that it would actually be just Maven and then you can use it in Eclipse or in, um, in IntelliJ. And that's when I started using IntelliJ basically just because it, like the Maven integration was just better and it would just uh, do that specific job better. Um, And but I think it benefited the project immensely uh, to be IDE independent, um, and that's so that's that's in that specific situation I think was a good choice. But I want to come back to this idea that uh, like uh, no, uh, uh, about IDE. I would like to say something about IDEs. Um, so I use Visual Studio Code, which is basically Eclipse nicely wrapped uh, recently, uh, because it, I can use it as an editor, and if it finds no Maven projects, it just I can just uh, start hacking and then still use you no know, for my HTML and JavaScript and CSS whatever. So yeah, just using you know as a mix of editor and IDE. And NetBeans NetBeans came out twelve six the new one, and I use NetBeans a lot. So I open NetBeans, so I download NetBeans, and I say, it's crazy how fast it is. So it is a lot faster the, than Visual Studio Code, and I was already happy with Visual Studio Code. And my hope was, you know, um, Visual Studio Code is uh, uh, is uh, good enough, and now I'm so okay. Now NetBeans is also uh, great again. So um, yeah. and and uh, so so this is great times actually. And I also have um, the subscription from from IntelliJ. The problem is with IntelliJ. I'm a consultant. It is a paid product, so I cannot just require all the companies just use you no know, IntelliJ because I have it. And and the nice story is you can come in with NetBeans or Visual Studio Code, and they are completely free. So you can say, okay, look, uh, you start now, and you have exactly the same environment what I have. So this is the only thing. Uh, with, yeah, uh, I, th I think yeah. As, as during trainings, you would have to use the community edition, right? Like you cannot be like, well, I'm going to show you stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. That stuff you actually have to pay because the community edition is pretty great in IntelliJ. But as yeah, as if you if you're showing people what to do, uh, I wouldn't use 
at least I wouldn't use the features of the paid version either. So that would probably be helpful to have uh, the community version there. Yeah, and my project is, uh, uh, my problem in, in there is, um, um, on my YouTube videos, sometimes you know, I get comments, uh, okay, there's too much magic what you're doing. What was it? And there's actually no magic at all. Sometimes I have you know, a small script which copies something and people suspect something happens behind the scenes because it looks like uh, so easy. So for me, the less, you know, the more open source stuff I'm using, the, the, uh, the, the better it is. Because I'm a consultant or, I mean, I have to do some strategic decisions, but always end up in code. So um, for me, it is important, you know, to show, okay, if we just, you know, do this this way, it will work. And th uh, I have to interrupt you because you said something uh, interesting and I interrupted you 10 minutes ago about why JDK 1.9 and try with resources. This was really interesting, interested, and we should, you know, keep this because uh, this uh, just... I wanted to you know to hear something else, but now is I think the time to discuss about your JDK one nine and try it with resources. Okay, I probably Adam, I'm going to make myself very unlike now, but no, I I will do that in a minute. Quickly, I just want to finish that thought about the different about the competition and different okay. things like logging and mocking. So basically, the thought is yes, competition great, but also leads to these long long discussions about what we use, and sometimes it feels really good that some of these things, like some of these thoughts have been fought and somebody won. So when I use Mocking now, I use Mokito. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about any of the other ones because that's just the one that apparently won, which to me means uh, it has like like overwhelming share, I think, at least that's my impression, in new projects. Yeah. That's what people mostly use now. Yes. I think also kind of JUnit won that thing, yeah. uh, specifically JUnit 5. And that just makes it easier because you don't have, like, because you probably need a unit testing framework. But now you don't have to have like, oh no, let's use test ng. No, let's use JUnit. Let those but five JUnit five. Us, we can all, just pick the good one. Yeah, but J, JUnit five almost screwed up because what I remember, you know, they removed the Hamcrest libraries. So uh, in JDK one, uh, JUnit four, I could just stick with one dependencies and I, I, I need now two. And you know, I don't know what they remember with JUnit five. The Shufire plugin was required in Maven, so the setup was more complicated at the beginning. But now it, uh, it, yeah, it, so yeah, and now it works better. But uh, Mokito, I'm with you, but I can tell you why it won. Because the competition back then, uh, back then how it's called, um, the competition Easy of mock, EasyMock, you had to record. There was, there's even a third one. I yeah, think. there was a third one, but you had to know to to, 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 to call record and whatever. And, and Mokito was just clean and easy. So this is why it won. Yeah, 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 I th yeah sure. I mean, it, it just turned out to be the, the better one. I just determined by winning, I said, like, I determined that by that seems to be what most people just use. Yeah, exactly. Box. You're right. Also, assertions, by the way. I have a strong distaste for Hamcrest because yeah. I don't know it. I don't know the entire API of, of, from the top of my head. And I feel like when you don't, it's actually hard to explore. Yeah. I really like how SRJ does it, for example, just to assert that. So, but anyway, so the point I was but making what is I need, um, Nikolai, what, what I need, Nikolai, I understand that this being stuck in committees sucks. And it's good that some of these wars are done. And now we can just pick the, the winner and not have these long discussions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, assert that. This is the only thing I would like to have, you know, assert that. And this is not part of JUnit five, but was in JUnit four. So I saw that. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, because it because it like so the idea behind JUnit five is uh, it has basic assertions, mm -hmm. but they said the team said there are great assertion libraries out there. We're just gonna provide the very basics. Yeah. You can use them out of the box, of course, but we recommend like for real life projects, you want to probably pick some assertion library. Yeah. So instead of trying to uh, come up with like good like instead of like providing assertions for everything. Um, they just said, okay, we're doing the basics. You're going to probably pick something else anyway, which is already out there. But what JUnit 5 will not do, unlike JUnit 4, it will not drag in an extra dependency like Hamcrest and basically present that to you as the default because yep. that's what JUnit 4 did. 
Yeah, a subset of Hamcrest. Yeah, Junit 4 was a ham, uh, subset of Hamcrest. And then uh, what I'm just missing is the one thing was like assert that because it's more like a facade, you know, to, to the others. And this is what I would like to have, just one thing, but I, I understand that completely. But are you all right with uh, Hamcrest that uh, you, you um, yeah. But um, if you d the problem with uh, assert equals and assert true is uh, I always mess up, you know, the, the order. The, the, the first one is, that's the problem. The first is, I think, expected, and the other one is the, the actual. And I always, I, I don't even know whether this is correct. I have to look it up. And with assert that, uh, this is clear. Because you say, I said that this is, and this is this is the nice thing. So what I'm just missing is assert that. This is the only thing. Yeah. Okay. But um, so, but I never use Jane five assertions. I just always use SRJ. In an open source project we have, we even make the rule, we always use SRJ, even if in that specific instance, the Jane five assertion would work just as well. Because then we have to have discussions. But look, in this case, it works better than, no, let's just like, let's just always use SRJ. Interesting. Uh, just uh, in interesting uh, design decisions. So you are always using SRJ. Yeah. Okay. So because the, the, the point is that to me, if you several developers, and then specifically also you have pull requests from outside contributors, like I don't want to end up in a conversation about, well, in this specific instance, maybe the JNET5 assertion is better. Yeah. Because like in, in some, like in maybe in a one or two or 5% yeah. of cases, it might be. But instead of then in 20% of the cases having that discussion or being me personally being disgruntled because, well, I don't want to fight the, the, the contributor over this like minute detail. But yeah. also, I don't really like that. So no, let's just not have that discussion. SRJ is pretty good in like 95% of cases. And even if like 5% writing assert that X is true is more work than writing just assert true. Let's just do it anyway. And that way we have a uniform solution and then we don't have to discuss these these specific details. We can spend time on the pull request focusing on more interesting stuff. No, that's very interesting. Interesting de decision, actually. Um, I like that. So you say, okay, I'm, we don't use for JUnit because JUnit is incomplete. JUnit assertions, JUnit 5 assertions are incomplete anyway. So we are just using external assertions. But this would be actually also an inter interesting, you know, design decision for JUnit 5 itself. So they say we 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 don't ship any assertions. <laughs> yeah, I think for a base, I, th I think they want to ship the basics because yeah, that's but this just is but this is expected. the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, but they use SRJ as well. I think, as far as I know, internally they use SRJ as well. So they use their own assertions to a point, but they also use a lot of SRJ if I remember correctly. I would okay. have to check the code base. But we, now, now I'm done with that. We can go back to JN9. Uh, sorry, Java 9, if you want to. <laughs> uh, no, just about your know, thought because what you said back then is yeah. what you're interested in is why something happens. Yeah. And you mentioned try and resources with JDK 1.9 and I interrupted yeah. you, but uh, I'm really interested what you wanted to, to, to say back then. So Let's do that. So uh, if you try with resources on Java 8, so let's say you got, I don't know, an input stream. You already have the stream, right? Mm -hmm. And now you want to use a try with resources block, like the try block. And then in parentheses, you put a resource there. And what Java then promises you is that at the end of that block, it will close that mm -hmm. resource. Like no matter whether it's exception or not an exception, like it will definitely call close it uh, on that thing. So in Java 8, what you have to do is if you already have the input stream, say, that you want to use, you have to assign it to a new variable. Mm -hmm. And in Java 9, you don't. You can just say try, open parenthesis, the name of the variable, close parenthesis, and then go. So the interesting question then is, so why was that change in Java 9? So why is that, like, what was the reason that we had to do the assignment before? Because it's weird. If I already have the variable, which in, let's say in this example, the input stream, why do I have to assign it to a new variable? That's so weird. Like, and specifically to me, that was super annoying because I tried to give stuff good names. 
and the, the input stream, say, already has a good name. I already gave it the best name that I have for it. Now I have to assign it to a new variable. That's the same thing. So I need another name that's basically the same thing, but I cannot give it the same name. So you end up with a single letter name very often. Like then the stream just becomes S because what else are you going to do at that mm -hmm. point? That was super annoying, but I never really thought about it. And then Java 9, when that changed, I actually read through the JEP and it explains why it was different in the past. And the reason is, Uh, that if you have a try with resources block, you have to be sure what close is called on. You as a developer have to be sure, has to have to be sure. And the best way to make sure that you know is by disallowing reassigning that variable. And the way to do that is to make it final. So mm -hmm. the only reason why you reassign that variable or why you assign it to a new variable is because that new variable is implicitly final. If you ever tried within a try block to reassign the resource variable, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's implicitly final. So the decision was made to keep the code readable. The a developer needs to uh, needs to be sure what a resource close is called on, and the best way to achieve that is by not allowing reassigning. And the best way to achieve that is by forcing the assignment of a new, creation of a new variable mm -hmm. that is then implicitly final. Okay, I never knew that. I didn't know the whole thought process was new to me. What Java 9 changed was well, you know. Since Java 8, we have this concept of, uh, of um, implicitly final, where something is like it could be final. It mm -hmm. just isn't. That's what you use for Lambda parameters. So you know what? Since developers now understand that concept, let's use that concept here. And if the variable is implicitly final, you can just write try and then in parentheses, just the name of the variable. Mm -hmm. So the change in Java 9 was small. You can use implicitly final variables um, in... Uh, in a try with resources block. But most of what I learned was, oh, so that's why it was that way before. That, that's interesting. Like, why was it that way? And that's what happens a whole lot uh, when I learn about new, um, about new Java features that I learned just as much about why the, the API or the language feature or the JVM used to work the way it was before the change. And that also informs why the change was made and how to better use that feature. And the JEP specifically are full of those information. It's really amazing um, that they all often, when they change something, also explain why it was the way it, is, it was before the change, mm -hmm. how things changed now, and what triggers now the, the new development that the JEP proposes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has these parts, like it was like X because reasons, reasons changed, so now we do Y instead. And that's super interesting to me personally. Yeah, this the, the why is is always yeah. interesting, you know, because if you know yeah. the why, uh, in in software architecture, for me the why, if I know the why, I um, uh, for me this the software becomes maintainable because you know why the decision was made, so you know now how to change it, and in our case with uh, or for your case, you can you now explain better now why how you know this try with resources is working as it is working because uh, you yeah. know in the background without the background it's really hard to really understand what's going on yeah and that's why actually why i think uh so exactly say this this why information this context information they're really important and that's one of the things where I, um that's a totally different topic though but i'm really a fan of commenting code yeah. in a certain way and what i try to say is that these why things like these context information they need to be somewhere And you can put them into your commit messages. You can put them into issue discussions. You can put them into a wiki. And that's all fine, but that's also very far away from the code. So if you, like, for example, work on something for like 60 minutes and then realize this way doesn't work, I have to try something else. Mm -hmm. I recommend 
put that in the code. Put a comment in the code saying like, I, I'm using this API instead of the other API because that other API has this and that shortcoming and that is the reason why it doesn't work here. Mm -hmm. These kind of information are like are, are super important. Like that, for example, could be something that would go into a POM maybe or the other build file saying, I use this dependency instead of that dependency for this and that reason. I use this version. I have to pin it to this old version because the newer version has a dependency conflict with that other dependency that we have, that kind of stuff. Or I made I picked this design pattern and not that design pattern because that other design pattern, which I tried first, doesn't work for that requirement that we have. That kind of information, if it's not in the code, it's it's really hard to to recreate that piece of information without basically retracing the same steps. And that happened a couple of times to me. I was updating a code base to Java 9. I wanted to update dependencies. I fought dependency conflicts for like half a day until I re re figured out, okay, these are unresolvable. It just doesn't work. We have to wait, wait for these two dependencies to release new versions. And at some point I realized, you know what? The version in the POM was already outdated by the time it was put into a POM, right? You can see it in the Git history. Um, I'm pretty sure that the person who put the diversion, who put that version, they knew that. They probably tried the same things I did. They yeah. probably also spent half a day and then realized, shit, the new version doesn't work. I'm going to put in a slightly older version. If only they would have spent an extra minute explaining, I could have saved like half a day. Yeah. And so I really, I'm a, I'm a friend of, uh, or proponent, really, like I'm telling people that if you make one of these decisions, I tried X and it didn't work, put that somewhere. And I think the code is often the best place because it's the most immediate place. The most, it's the easiest to find. You can put that into a wiki article about your design and architecture somewhere. It turns out like that's probably not going to be something that people have at least read so recently that they know it by heart. Absolutely. Probably they don't read it at all. I give you, uh, I send you in a chat a link to a blog uh, post, very short one. This is already nine years old, and this is how to comment with Javadoc. And I got this hint from some someone. This was their Kai Windmüller, and uh, what it states is um, about Javadoc: the what in the name, put the how in the code, and the why in the comment. So exactly what you said. And um, what's um, about Javadoc? What I also highly appreciate is the quality of Javadoc in JDK itself. So right now, I mean, right now. Uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, now we can argue about that. But uh, if you look at the string Javadoc comments and the older comments, they happened at JDK 1.0 time, so 1995. And the quality was still high. I mean, not high like there was a lots of comments, but they always explain why. And... Um, I was, um, and a lot, you know, like the uh, the quality boards or code reviews or whatever in various companies, and they asked me about, you know, what they wanted to have is they wanted to, you know, to 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 uh, comment all public Java docs, uh, all public methods with Java doc, and I said, okay, but this is just stupid. Let's let's assume we have getters and setters. What what do you would like to write there? Right? This is like getters and setter, and this is this is a default constructor. This is like you know, for me, it is offending the developer because everyone knows what get and setter is. And yeah. what um, what uh, what larger companies are are searching for is like you know a rule how to automatically increase the software quality without any effort. Like you know, so just generate getters and setters, and I think okay, now we have a great uh, great uh, yeah. uh, uh, documentation, which is uh, counterproductive. So I would say, to writing a good Java doc, it takes some time, and as you said, you have to think why I did it. And the cool story is now, if you don't know. Why uh, why you do this? Just delete it, 
because there, 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 are, there are lots, you know, of, of, of software which does nothing interesting, like, you know, copying back and forth objects or just uh, doing stuff which is actually, there's no added value, no business value. And uh, if you cannot justify why you're doing this, it's probably not worth of doing this at all. And um, you can just, you know, write simple Java code, which expresses, you know, perfectly the the business requirements and not spend your time, you know, hunting some old outdated patterns. Yeah, so about the about Javadoc, so what I really think is, um, so these Y comments that I just mentioned, um, it, I mean, it depends on who you're addressing, right? So when I'm writing, writing a project, let's say it's an app, so and I'm addressing my fellow my teammates, right, mm -hmm. uh, who also read the code. I would probably not put a whole lot of that Y stuff into a Javadoc because to me, Javadoc is something very specific. To me, a Javadoc first and foremost establishes a contract. Mm -hmm. It promises me how this thing will behave. Mm -hmm. And that's what we used to, right? That's where, where, where uh, Javadocs in, is shine. Like if you look at, you know, the, the, the collections framework or mm -hmm. the lists mm -hmm. and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, all of these APIs, we explore them. That that's how we understand them. We read the Java doc and we we say, okay, this is what the code promises us. And we usually don't think about looking at the implementation. Mm -hmm. And so when people say, well, you don't need comments because the code is uh, self-explanatory, I'm like, okay, if you believe that, then never read Java doc ever again. Just look at the code. Look at I don't know. For example, there was a great example. Uh, there's something Google's Guava does, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. uh, like a type token that helps with reflection. And I, I challenge people, yeah, go, go look at that code and tell me what the contract is. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, yeah, you want to establish the contract by tests. Great. There are like a couple of hundred, hundreds and hundreds of tests for the collections framework. Exactly. Look at that and then tell me what the, what the, what the contract is. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really like, I think that's, that's just a plainly, sorry for the word, stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> if something establishes a contract, Looking at all the implementations and all the tests is the worst way to learn about it. Um, so instead, well, it's not the worst way. You can probably just do guessing, which is even worse. But it's not a good way, at least, to learn about it. So a contract, something there. So this is the central abstraction of this piece of code. This is what it does. I think that often deserves uh, a comment. But then also, of course, writing Javadoc takes time. And it means that, uh, you know, this stuff can get out of sync. And is it is it how useful is it to the readers? So what I re what I basically recommend is, Every class should have a Java doc at the top that has like one, two, three sentences explaining what the basic abstraction and basic task of that class is. Yeah. Now, if that class gets to be reused, if you know what I'm writing here is a low-level utility that's probably going to be reused a whole lot, then spend the time describing what the methods do as well. If you're writing some piece of code that probably is only going to be called from that other class that you're writing right now, like maybe you have a package visible class that you only use in one place. Sure, there's no reason to write like contract comments for all the all the things, right? That's fine. Leave it like if it's just one one place that's used, it's okay to have the code explain itself. Um, so that's one rule I think. Like just like the more it's reused, I, I would extend on that. I would expect if the class is important, I would also expect you know an example in the in Javadoc, so you can absolutely get, give a use example or point to a unit test yeah. which already has the example because you no know, from the examples yeah. this is what makes the you know sun or oracle newer or or sunny what do i mean the how to call it the core javadoc uh, comments actually great yeah so javadoc by the way gets and i think jdk 18 gets a really uh, um a really boost in that area it now has a snippet tag Mm -hmm. uh, and you can use a snippet tag to have like a, a multi-line code block there, but that's mm -hmm. not really new. But what you can use it for is you can reference another source file mm -hmm. and then reference also a section of that source file that you want to embed. And that is amazing because 
Um, what what can quickly happen if you put source code into comments is you change the code it references, but of course you never know, right? Because the comment, uh, the piece of code in the comment usually isn't compiled. Mm-hmm. But what you can now do, you can have, let's say, in a usual structure is uh, source main Java, right? And source test Java. Now maybe you also have like source demo Java, for mm-hmm. example. And that's where you put on all your files that um, are just demonstrations of how to use your API. Ah. They can be compiled. Mm-hmm. If you do it well, you can even run tests in them. So you can not only make sure that they are compiled, you can also make sure that they behave as you want them to. Mm-hmm. And then you pull snippets out of that into your Java doc or actually into other documentation as well, right? So ASCII doc, for example, has a feature like that as well. And I think that's the best way to write uh um, to reference examples, mm-hmm. and you're perfectly fine. You're perfectly right. Uh, so JavaDoc, for example, that says at the top of the class, this is what the class is about. Here are a few example ways to use it. That's great. That's great information. If I want to use that class, that makes it so much easier for me um, to just you know to just get started and not have to spend the time rebuilding what the what the author of the class already knew, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what you're doing. Like every user comes around and has to rebuild from tests, from code, the contract in their head. Then use it and then forget it and do the same thing a couple of months later. In um, backend or business projects, what I also do is I say, okay, um, the Java package should have specific meaning. And um, what I the topmost package, um, you, because you mentioned utility, uh, the topmost packages are always named about a business by business responsibility. So in in a project like you know Netflix, you would have you know client streams, videos, movies, or whatever. And um, but what I don't allow is generic names like uh, util or common or foundation because uh, you you will end up putting everything there. Is uh, like Java util was also a bad idea, you know, to 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 allow <laughs> Java util at the top level because there's every everything there, right? So um, yeah. and then what do you have? We have a package with a business meaning. For me, it's the Java package has a similar granularity as a huge Java object. Like on Amazon, it would be shopping cart. You cannot just implement a shopping cart on one class. You already know it is more than one class. So you can just add, you know, create a Java package with the name shopping cart. And then what I uh, what I uh, uh, like to do is to implement uh, package info to Java, like uh, uh, package doc. So um, yeah. what I would I expect at least that uh, you have one package dash inf- package that dash info Java exactly, and with yeah. a single line of Java doc which describes you know what is the responsibility of this entire module, and uh, this is this at least thing which I can which I'm expecting because then you already know okay this is the implementation of shopping cart what it does and so forth, and then I'm oh with you. And you know all the more important classes. I would implement the why, what it does, and maybe a link, you know, to some external part. And this basically it. So you are not required to implement. You know, if you say nothing, means it's trivial. If you write Java doc, you are already explaining why it's not trivial. So what happens behind mm-hmm. the scenes? What what is the ideas? This is uh, my approach, and it works actually well. Except there is seems like there is no there is no there are no metrics. For the existence of package dash info to Java, so you know large projects try uh, don't write it um, that much because they don't have any credit, no no stats, so they write like crazy, you know <laughs> Java docs forget us and set us, but skip this package info because it's not it does not appear in the in the stats. So I think one thing is very important. You mentioned uh, Java doc get us and set us. I wanted to comment on that. That's of course the poster child for for pointless comments, right? Yeah, like yeah. set name has uh, the Java doc, which is yeah. sets the name, and then yeah. has the variable yeah. name, which has to comment the name. I mean, 
Yeah, but nobody needs that. Nobody, also at least nobody I know who. who no, this is defect. Comments are important. What I do is defect. I use. If I see this, yeah. I say, okay, this is defect deleted. This yeah. because if you generate JavaDoc. If someone would try to read it, you can redirect the entire thing to DevNull. No one will read that this is a get and setter. Or even worse, this is a class. You know, This is a class with the name string. This is the default construct of the class string. I mean, and this is a toString method, which uh, generates toString. So, okay, I mean, what, what I say, you know, if you go to, let's say, to a garage or to a, uh, to a shop, to a sports shop, and they will say, you know, this is a shoe, this is a T-shirt, this is a white jacket. It's just like like completely stupid, you know. When you see on the on the on the you know on the uh, sticker there, uh, maybe this is a jacket with specific you know uh, attributes, but not this is a green jacket. You won't see that. Yeah. So I think that that's that's actually important. Like there are obviously very bad comments, and when I say I argue for comments, I don't argue for those. Yeah. So yeah. This is what I understood, which is very good. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that you also mentioned is, uh, you know, when but when the, when there are metrics, there are no me metrics for package info, then people don't write comments for that. Yeah. Because the thing is this, as soon as you introduce a metric, like people don't have to be, like people are not explicitly thinking, well, sometimes maybe they are, but usually they're not like, oh, I, I will not write a package info comment because it doesn't help me with the metric, but I will write one on the getter. That's not really a conscious thought process in most people. It's just the way it happens by default. Like it's that if you introduce a metric, people will start behaving according to that metric just because that's kind of what a metric is about. Like you, you're interested in those numbers, you're interested in getting yeah. in pushing those metrics where you want them to have. And so if you have those and you focus on them, and you know, if you have a large business, uh, if you a large uh, uh, company or a large organization, it's typical for higher ups to just focus on these numbers because that's you know they cannot come to your code and read all of your comments and decide whether your comments are good. So there's always this danger that when you establish certain metrics, they become important, and then they will drive decisions whether those decisions make sense in the context of the original reason to introduce the metric or not. If you feel our code has poor comments, we need to be better with that or has bad testing. Uh, or whatever, and you then think, okay, uh, we want to get better in that, at that, that's good. We want to have a metric for that. That's also not bad, but then be really careful to make sure that this metric does not get gained. And once again, I don't think this is malfeasance. People are not doing that because they're like evil people. It's just what happens. If there's a, a metric, it just, it's just a natural behavior uh, if something gets measured to, to, to improve that measurement. I mean, Maybe I mean, even in situations where it doesn't work that well. It's not a problem of developers, I would say, because uh, the developers. No, it's, yeah, it's a general problem. Definitely. Yeah, it's I mean, like I mean when there is a, the, the problem of management, because they require specific contracts. You know, if you're a software independent software vendor, you have to deliver the software, and they say, okay, all public methods has to be commented. So I, so what I can do is, I, I won't write, you know, uh, comments for getters and setters. I will generate them because I, I mean, this is what I should, should write, right? And even worse. Now, what I see is even worse than JavaDoc are actually recommendations for JUnit tests. Like 80% of the entire API has to be unit tested, code coverage. What I already yeah. see is uh, I, I saw already unit tests for enums, unit tests for exceptions, uh, unit tests you know, for getters and setters where uh, there was reflection tools built just to invoke all the getters and setters to increase the code coverage. And this is really bad. And um, I don't know whether you know the JAXORS API, you know, like the REST API. For instance, if you have the first layer JAXORS, nothing happens there. It just, you know, gets, you know, from, uh, it just reacts to get, post, and so forth. 
and um, you get the HTTP header maybe sometimes, and, and and you return the response. And what I already see, you know, one-to-one, line-by-line unit tests, we just replicate whatever happens in the JaxRS layer. What means yeah, is... You're testing. Yeah. It happens fast. You just you end up testing the framework. You end up testing Java. Like, you use yeah, the yeah. date API. You write a little bit of code over the date API. Then your tests feed that code a bit of stuff and then test it. What, what you, like, not always, right? But what you may end up doing is you're basically just testing whether the Java date implementation is correct or date time implementation, yeah. which it probably or mocks. is. You know, what they do is they, they mock <laughs> yeah. it out and they see whether the mock returned, you know, what was previously uh, feeded. And, and the uh, overhead is huge. And my concern is, Every change now in Java code um, uh, requires a huge refactoring of the unit tests because every small, you know, uh, change of the behavior, which is irrelevant, has to be, you know, the unit test has to be adapted because what they are changing, you know, whether the what they are testing or verifying is whether, you know, the, the mocks behave this way as they be, behaved before, it means it becomes too expensive. And now management sees that and it says, okay, why... The maintenance of Java code is that expensive. Why we should not look at Python or, or JavaScript, you know? Because uh, in they are not doing that. So the only difference between us Java developers is we have the tools, and sometimes we are forced, you know, to deliver such uh, pointless code. And in, in Python and the other programming languages, they are not that far. They, they don't have such toolings, and no one cares about such numbers. So this is unfair comparison between Java productivity and the scripting language productivities because you know the entire context is different. So what 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 I try to do is you know just to be productive with Java and uh, whatever is pointless just skip it. So this is a very important part. Otherwise Java Java code becomes just too expensive to maintain. Yeah, I think like the question to write tests that you described. Uh, I mean now that we the way we talk about it, it's obvious that they're pointless. Um, but sometimes when you're in the midst of it, it's not that obvious. What like that's what you're doing, right? I mean, if you test a getter, you you probably know like if you create a method, create an instance, and then call a setter, and then call a getter, and then verify that it's the right thing, you probably know that what you're doing is not is not the greatest thing to do. But specifically, that you sometimes accidentally just test the underlying code, whether like the the framework that you're using or the 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 API that you're using, whether that behaves correctly or not, that you're accidentally just testing that or mostly testing that. That's not always immediately obvious, but you're right. Like it happens. Like when you when you focus on test coverage too much, uh, or if you, specifically if you say like it must have X percent, then that's what happens. But at the same time, like in the project that I mentioned earlier, it's JNet Pioneer, by the way, where we only use SRJ assertions, right? Um, we also have uh, test coverage that that's measured, mm -hmm. but it's not like you have to have X percentage for it to be able to merge because then you end up with testing as you described like hey does the constructor actually work like surprise it does yeah um but still you want to look at i think what this is important for is not as a as a metric to achieve a certain level but as uh, a measurement of where there's might still be work to do right so yeah, for sure. example let's say you have to you evaluate test coverage across your entire project and you say it's like on average let's say 80 percent mm -hmm. but you have one of those that has just like 40 you're like, well, what's there? Like, maybe, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe you look at that and it's like, it's all just glue code. It all just deals with some spring stuff. Okay. We don't need to test that. That might be perfectly fine. Right. Um, but this is like a pointer to where maybe you want to check out where the things are. Okay. Maybe you realize that, like, oh, wait, no, this is just a code that was written like very recently by somebody who later, you know, applied for a job elsewhere and they didn't get around to writing all the tests they maybe would have wanted to or whatever. Maybe the person was, a, uh, you know, never writes tests. The reason uh, what I'm saying is, Maybe realize, oh wait, no, there should be more tests, and then maybe now is the time to write them. 
um, before we change the underlying code and then, uh, you know, we get bugs because the, mm -hmm. we didn't notice that we accidentally changed behavior. Um, and you're right, not every small behavior change needs to break a test, but every small behavior change that other code relies on, that should break a test. Mm -hmm. And it's often like when you TDD, it's probably theoretically every behavior is in there because reason. Uh, but yeah, in real life, it happens that you have that you code a behavior that you don't actually need uh, specifically for the clients that use that class. Um, and then if there's a unit test, the test set. So that's the difference between a contract yeah. and implementation, right? But I, I think the contract, difference is... The test should verify the contract and not the implementation details. I would say the, the huge difference, whether the metrics are established by the team or by external entity or management, you know, if you cannot influence the metrics oh, yeah. and, and you are measured by the by external metrics, th this is the problem. And um, yeah. you probably know. Yeah, specifically if it's specifically if it's used in a hierarchical situation where other people are going to uh, judge you or yeah, exactly. your competence or your or your you know how much money you get based on those metrics. That's like that's a horrible situation because then people are surely going to game it. Mm -hmm. Like probably many of them on purpose and the other ones, as I mentioned earlier, just because that's apparently what is expected and that's just going to happen then. So yeah, if management comes in and says you need ninety percent test coverage, better prepare for tested getters and setters. Yeah, <laughs> what what we did in such projects? No kidding, there was no no way you know to convince management to do something different. So we introduced annotation pointless. And we put on the code and I see whatever you see this, we just had to do this. So there was actually, you can delete it afterwards. So this was actually an, an interesting approach. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's fair though. Like, it's a, it's like if, as a developer, I know that there's bullshit code in this code base because yeah. I have to put it yeah. there. At least if it's pointed out, that's yeah. nice actually. Yeah, I, this is actually a common pattern in some project. If you have no, I have no chance, you know, to change the world. So I do this and uh, I say, okay, pointless, just forget about that. And, um, and uh, I don't know whether you know SonarCube probably or Sonar. And yeah. back then they had a great, great metrics. This is harder to to get right now. And it was called uh, Project Cloud, I think the metric. And what we did, we combined the cyclomatic complexity with test coverage. And you got you got you know uh, a, a overview. It looked like may, maybe tags. And uh, every class was listed in a cloud. And the larger the font size, the more complex the code. Mm -hmm. And the color was test coverage. So green was 100% and red was nothing. And we had a simple rule in a project. Big red font is prohibited. So you will have to make it simpler or more tests. And this was the best you know, choice ever because the combination is great. Because if a complex code is probably not that testable, and if you reduce the complexity, it becomes more testable, and you solve the problem. So this was actually a great approach, but exactly this metric uh, becomes you know harder and harder to get in the recent uh, Sonar versions. Oh, okay, yeah, that's actually a good idea. I think like combining that and saying like, look, we don't have to have hundred percent test coverage, but if you like, the more complex something is, the more tested it should probably be. Yeah. And there's an old, old framework I tried to, or, or library, um, I don't know what to know, it's called crep4j. It is, it is still there, crep4j.org, and it tried to do something similar. <laughs> it looks outdated. It's probably implemented with, with AWT. I put it in the show notes and in the chat so you can look at that. But um, it was a st standalone framework which did it. It's called crep4j. And, um, and um, yeah, it was 2007. It's an old, old stuff. Um. Hey, oh, yeah. oh my god, this webpage, this looks amazing. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's 
that's two thousands Java. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's uh, really nice. And um, look, um, we didn't mention, we didn't cover the uh, newest uh, Java stuff, but it was interesting enough. So I will have to reinvite you back again, and then we should really have to talk about uh, Java seventeen and Java eighteen. And um, but um, it was a really great conversation. I didn't knew actually that you spent that much time with you know, Java and your thoughts about uh, unit testing. Very interesting. And um, yeah, but um, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah. where people can find you? Do you have a blog, you know, Twitter? You have it. So yes. just mention Yeah, I'm Nipa, I'm Nipa FX everywhere. So Nipa FX is on Twitter, on YouTube. NipaFX.dev is my website. Mm -hmm. uh, so if interested in more random rambling. So yes, I spent most of my time digging through the newest Java stuff. But as you've as you've maybe been surprised to hear, just as Adam has, uh, I do other stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I have opinions on everything. So not all of them are good. Uh, <laughs> but I do, uh, yeah, so um, that's that's where people can find me. And you can ping me anytime. I have a Discord as well. Uh, if you go to nipafx.dev, there's a Discord at the top uh, where you can uh, join us on some random Java conversations. And yeah. Yeah. So thank you for having me. That was really great fun. And yes, you're right. Like every time we plan, like let's talk about the new features and then we didn't. Hey, we talked about one Java 9 feature and about yeah. the snippet tag in Java 18. Yeah. So and, and you and, and you tried to 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 sell to sell us, you know, this old Java 19 logging logging as new. So oh, yeah, you know. yeah, right. Like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how you can tell that's how that's how you can tell that people are are getting old when they think something is new that was actually done like four years ago because that was a new thing for them though or, they still think it's new or crap for j from 2007 you know this is uh exactly. even better the, the newest framework yeah okay cool thank you see you next time see you bye